The Holy Gospel according to John, chapter 3. Glory to you, Lord. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I say to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we've seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Christ. <clears throat> Sometimes the most seemingly inconsequential details in the Bible are in fact the most significant. Today we have three readings, four including the psalm. The reading from Genesis is familiar to many people in which God calls Abram to get up and go to a new land, thus beginning the definitive relationship between God and God's people. Then we have a reading from Paul, marked by his characteristic circular rhetorical reasoning that sometimes makes the brain want to explode, even as he attempts to explain to the church in Rome how the death of Jesus Christ applies even to those who lived and died long before the time of Jesus, and also, and especially to those who are far from perfect. Then we have this dear story of Nicodemus, a Pharisee, scholar of Jewish law, who comes to pay Jesus a midnight visit. There are a lot of words here today, hundreds of words in fact. Five of them seem to be insignificant 
tacked onto the end of a sentence. And yet, hidden deep within these five words lies volumes about the nature of humanity as well as our relationship with God. The five words are these, and Lot went with him. It's easy to romanticize the story of Abraham, how God dramatically chooses and calls him, how God commands Abram to leave his home and kindred and embark upon a mysterious journey. We witness God's astonishing covenant with Abram where God promises to be his God and the God of his people forever, no matter what. As Abram gets up and goes, we set our eyes forward with him on what lies ahead, walking together into the future, side by side, with God leading the way. But often, we focus so much on what lies ahead that we neglect to notice what we bring with us. It is true, here we have a new beginning. Abram is called to leave his home, travel to a new place, to found a new nation, to enter into a new relationship with God. And yet, this is not the first new beginning we've seen in Genesis. By now, in fact, we've had several new beginnings in Genesis. Creation, flood, Tower of Babel. And yet each of these new beginnings is immediately followed by catastrophe. Creation followed by the first sin, flood followed by some bizarre drunken incident between Noah and his youngest son. Towering human solidarity collapses as it falls into temptation of exclusion and homogeneity. And so here, God invites Abram into another new beginning, the creation of God's own people, the Hebrew nation, children of Israel known as the Jews. Here's a brand new start for Abram, and yet, Lot went with him. As Abram embarks on this new beginning, exactly who or what is he bringing along? Lot is Abram's nephew. As they journey together from the familiar to the unknown, the two get on okay as uncle and nephew, in fact, both even become very wealthy, so wealthy that they get on each other's nerves and step on each other's toes, so they amicably part ways. Abraham goes to the west, and Lot goes to the east. Then things begin to escalate in the east. Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed by fire. Lot's wife dies. Things continue to spin out of control as Lot's daughters get him drunk and become pregnant by him. And then Lot ends up dying rather unremarkably alone in a cave fading away long before his uncle. Maybe it would have been better had Lot not come along. After all, he only brings unnecessary drama. Lot seems to distract from, or maybe even ruin altogether, this brand new beginning. After all, this is the definitive moment for Abraham and his future generations. This is the christening of the maiden voyage of God and God's people, champagne, smashed against the bow, and off they sail, and yet, and yet, Lot went with him. Let's pause for a sec to check out a Hebrew word, hooray, you think to yourself. The word is bereshit. The word reshit is literally the first three words of the Bible, which we usually translate in the beginning. Grammar nerds, this one's for you. If you notice, however, in the Hebrew, 
There's no indefinite article in this case, which the Hebrew language has. In other words, there's no the. So, many scholars translate these first three words as in a beginning, or even beginnings. Finally, though, we remember that Genesis is a book of poetry. It's no more a textbook on Hebrew grammar than it is a science report or a historical archive. However, it changes things, I think, to think about the Bible opening with in a beginning or beginnings. Is there a singular defining moment of creation, of beginning, or is there in fact a series of new starts? Perhaps then the relationship between God and people has many beginnings, not just one. After all, in Genesis, we see creation and fall, flood and sin, birth and murder, tower and rubble, harmony and jealousy, order and anarchy, trust and deceit. Perhaps the story of God's relationship with people doesn't begin in one single definitive moment in time, but many times. In fact, it begins anew every time there's a break in relationship. Adam and Eve sin, we know this, but before God kicks them out of the garden, God sows clothes for them. Cain kills Abel, but God promises to protect him. An evil world is flooded, but God throws a rainbow in the sky as a promise to never do it again. Time and time again, there's a break, and then a new beginning. So maybe Lot doesn't destroy the story between Abraham and God, which has its own share of drama, so much as Lot brings along the reality that God loves broken people. People whose families are broken, people who lose their fame and fortune, people who get jealous and no fear, people who die alone. Broken people. Consider, when did I fall in love with Doug? Was it a single definitive moment when the heavens parted and God called to me, this is the one? Or was it a series of moments of new beginnings when trust was established inch by inch, when love was defined second by second, when partnership was built brick by brick? Singular beginning or series of beginnings? And there's no way that I could ever love or appreciate Doug without all of the things that I bring along with me. And Lot went with him. A reminder of the past who carries into his future dozens of new beginnings between himself, his own people, and God. Life itself is marked by new beginnings. The impossible debate of when life begins, at conception, with the first heartbeat, at birth, why not all of the above? Can life not have many beginnings instead of just one? Even our own individual lives are marked by beginnings. Every day is a new beginning for a recovering alcoholic. Every day is a new beginning for someone battling an eating disorder. Every day is a new beginning for someone who fights with depression or anxiety. Every day is a new beginning for someone learning to hope and to trust life then is a series of new beginnings. With each new beginning, some of the old stuff comes along, but that's not always bad. It's part of the future story. Right now, LCM is tagging all the things that we are going to bring into our new space as we prepare for our move. Do we bring everything? No. 
Do we leave everything behind? No. We bring significant things with us into our future home, not perfect things, but things of value nonetheless. And Lot went with him. In our reading from John, Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. He can't sleep. His mind won't stop spinning. He's a Pharisee, a scholar of Jewish law. He knows every letter in the book, every crossing of the T's, and every dotting of the I's, if Hebrew had vowels. Yet everything he hears from and about Jesus challenges what he knows to be true. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and says, Hey, how can any of this be true? The things you say, the things you do, I don't understand any of it. Jesus tells him he must be born again. Nicodemus doesn't find this answer helpful. The truths you've built your world on are no longer true, says Jesus. You must begin again. For Nicodemus, this means relationship to God no longer hinges on meticulous adherence to the letter of the law. Instead, in Jesus, it's all built on grace. He still brings with him his knowledge, his wisdom, his credentials into his new relationship with God. He doesn't stop being a Pharisee. After all, this is who Nicodemus is. And yet, he needs to start over. This can be devastating, a starting over, to realize that the truths, the truths we've built our worlds on are no longer true. This can apply to people as well, when truths about people are untrue. This has been a difficult week for this community, for my sons, for my students, as former Halal director David was found guilty of second-degree sexual abuse of a minor. Many worlds collapsed this week. David faces a new beginning. His parents face a new beginning. LCM and Halal face new beginnings. This chapter will come along with all of us into the future. It's part of our story now, as we all, in our own ways, move forward. I think of an event that happened a few years ago when Christian, my oldest, was at a music competition. During a particular song, he was getting ready to play a drum solo. It was only seconds away when the boy next to him bumped into his music stand, sending his sheet music flying across the floor. I stopped breathing, honestly. However, Christian's teacher, she's an amazing woman, Amber Olin is her name, gestured at him to lock eyes with her, indicating that she knew that he knew the music that she would guide him through it. He didn't need the notes, forget that. The music was in his heart. In fact, not having the sheet music in front of him allowed him to improvise a bit. He won. Sometimes our familiar structures fall apart or scatter across the floor and we panic because we don't know what to do next and we can't see the future. 
And this is when grace shines brightest. What Genesis in particular and the Bible in general shows us is that when something crumbles, when the familiar fades away, when hope seems lost, God will begin again. God creates and recreates and never stops creating, calling things into existence that do not exist. Things like hope and love and trust. Abraham, get up and go. Leave behind everything you know to be real and true, everything that is familiar to you. Lot will go with you. And when everything you know to be real and true falls apart, I will guide you through it. Keep your eyes locked on me. When you're crying out to have a child, when Lot's wife turns to salt, when Sodom and Gomorrah go up in flames, I will guide you through it. Nicodemus, leave the law behind you. All of the knowledge you've stored up, your academic excellence, your degrees, your dissertations, your GPA, the framed pieces of pedigree you hang on your wall. Do not make me love you anymore. Begin again. Learn a new life of grace. My love for you is unconditional. And to you, to me, when all that seems familiar and true and real scatter like papers on the floor, when we find ourselves saying things like global pandemic and thawing permafrost and guilty verdict, when former times of health and safety and well-being seem far off and long ago, we lock eyes with God, creator of heaven and earth, who guides us through all of these things, who is the God of new beginnings, who journeys with us into the future, loving us no matter what we leave behind and what we bring along, faithfully loving us no matter what. If you find yourselves awake at midnight, with your head spinning like Nicodemus, and you think to yourself, how can any of this be true? How can grace be real? I don't understand any of this. If you feel weighted down by what you bring along with you in life, if you feel unsure or even terrified of what might come next, if you have no idea how to start over, if night presses in on you from all sides, know that God is awake, listening, comforting, assuring, guiding you through the night until first light breaks. Amen.